Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is over 100 episodes at this point. So it's a great deal. So without further ado, here is the preview, and I hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, where you can hear the rest. And even the sentence, there's ownership, which makes things dark. She's talking about ownership in the way that someone talks about relationship ownership, like interpersonal dynamics of a relationship or BDSM or uh, a relationship. She's not talking about ownership as in chattel slavery because if you're talking about chattels like they're conflating and using interchangeably chattel slavery ownership with relationship or partnership ownership like that's and, how and that's that's the downside of and uh, you know i'm not really uh like i understand uh the uh the conversation and perhaps arguments um about you know casting um people who are not of uh, american descent as historical black american characters but having somebody that doesn't really have a context for the history it makes it so easy to just like elide these things like you're talking about it as if as though it's just you know a complicated perhaps abusive relationship but like there's nothing in the way that uh, a master describes a slave as like an animal or a beast of burden or something like that that's like out of it, there's nothing complicated about that at all i don't know if you no. read vincent woodward's book the delectable negro uh, i've read parts of it yeah okay oh my yeah. god that that book and rethinking rufus are two of the hardest books that i've ever had to get through but uh, there's a, there's a passage where he's talking about um, sex, honor, and consumption, like how it is that uh, the, the three are sort of like tied together in the uh, the, the, the master-slave uh, relationship in American chattel slavery, where he says, like the difference between wild and domesticated game, the more appetizing Negro was the one whom whites had domesticated, made into a type of pet whom they could work, romanticize, brutalize, or socially consume. So the idea that he's sexually attracted to her, but also refers to her and other slaves as uh, in in animalistic terms, that's not complicated. Actually, that's that's the most it's simple, and straightforward slave yeah. narrative that exists. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and someone said to me on Twitter, she's an object with passage, no agency. She has yep. zero agency. Uh, someone said to me, in response to that article, I mean to that passage, it said, "It's so creepy the way ownership slides in here." as if in the realm of interpersonal vocabulary, but she's actually talking about chattel slavery, which says so much about the mindset of her in this movie. I'm like, you know, that's true. Yeah. Technically talking about chattel slavery, but she's reducing it to the language of interpersonal. That's so different than how Michael K. Williams was talking about right. what slavery was mm -hmm. um, to him. And here's one more clip from a press conference where this is this is Cassie, um, what's her last name, Williams, the director? Oh, Casey Lemons. Oh, 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 Cassie Lemons. It looks like Casey, but everyone keeps saying Cassie. So I think okay. it's Cassie. Is I, I thought, yeah, I think, I think you're right. That is Cassie Lemons, but yeah. Yeah, it, it looks like it should be Casey, but everyone keeps saying Cassie. So I think it's what it is. This shows, shows you how sanitized for white comfort uh, this whole project is. Listen to this. The question is, um, she noticed that instead of uh, scenes of 
gory violence in the film. Uh, you you were uh, dealing with emotion and, and using the, you said biblical songs. Yeah, dramatic songs uh, as a way to, to generate that emotion instead. And she wondered if that was uh, a choice to, to maybe not show as much of the, the violence. Well, to, to us, we always think of this uh, not as a slavery movie, but as a freedom movie. So this is really about, uh, it's really about freedom and the, the choice to fight for freedom and the choice to be willing to die for freedom and the choice to bring other people to freedom. Um, obviously, slavery has to, you know, slavery is, is where it came from. We have to understand it. What? And it's very complicated. What I really, what really was important to me, honestly, we're complicated because we've seen, a lot. we've seen the tropes of slavery and obviously that's real and important. But what was, um, oh. what was kind of important oh. in this story was this is, this is Northern, oh. you know, this was, this is Maryland. And it was very complicated. I really was important to me that you understand that free people lived next to slaves and married them. Enslaved people and free people, they, they kind of shared a society. And I thought that was really interesting. I thought the fact that Harriet and her family went and hired a lawyer to prove they should be free. I mean, that was amazing to me. You know, that's something like you just don't think of that. You know, that, but they, they did. You know, Harriet, Harriet actually, it's it's a little too complicated, the, the full story, but she... She worked um, at Thompson's. She she. She's just they, rambling. They, uh, Rhodes, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. She's really talking about why didn't you talk about slavery and violence? She's talking about lawyers. Save that money to hire that lawyer to find the will of of Brodus's great grandfather, who said that that okay, her. Okay, that's, that's enough of that. But I mean, I think there's a lot of striving that wants to go on. She wants to make sure people know that she can hire a lawyer. And there's a lot to unpack slaves. there. There's a lot to unpack there, but it says so much about the mindset of this movie. Yes. And why Blue Checks like it so much. Yeah, I, I, I heard everything that I needed to hear right there. I, I could listen. I'm gonna listen. Send me that clip, uh, T, if you can. Sure. Yeah, I wanna I wanna It's a lot to unpack. Like, yeah, that like, that, I, that I, I, I wanna revisit it when we talk about we did, yeah. around the movie. Yeah, yeah. Th this is why I was saying people, you guys might think I'm just trying to beat something into the ground, but there's so much stuff around this movie from the interviews, from the stories from the antics of people, that is just really hard to cover this in just one episode. It's crazy. Um, there was actually something that I wanted to come back to, which was something that I think in the, you know, Twitter brouhaha over the weekend didn't really get addressed. And it, it wasn't until... Um, of friends with uh, with 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 disabilities pointed this out to me, and that was that like the way that Harriet Tubman's disability is portrayed in the movie, it's almost like turned into a superhero power. Like you you called it Spidey Sense. Mm. No 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 no, I didn't call it Spidey Sense. Oh, wasn't make, you that said that? No 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 no. I told you about it, but this is yeah. what I this is what I actually told you. Cassie Lemons called it a Spidey Sense. Oh, she said that. Get <laughs> out of oh, yes. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. Here, here you here you go. Here you go. I've done my, I've done my due diligence. Listen to this. Uh, remember, I told you. Uh, for people who don't know, I told him that as I was spending hours researching before we do this. So I have everything. Um, Slate.com. This is the headline. Harriet Harriet director Cassie Lemons on the source of Harriet Tubman's quote unquote Spidey Sense. Right. So then um, the story is an interview with Cassie Lemons. And here's what uh, she said. Right. The, the interviewer goes, the phrase that came to mind to describe her powers. First of all, the interviewer actually uses the word powers. The These weren't powers. This was a disability and a brain, brain injury. But they, refer they reframed it as powers. The phrase that came to mind to describe her powers watching the movie was Spidey Sense. Did Harriet Tubman have a name for her power? And did you have a name for her power? And this is a grown person oh, talking. They're, they're talking like they're talking about a superhero movie. 
about yeah. uh, you know an, an icon. That's a popular and, uh, thing to do nowadays. Mm-hmm, I, I was in a board mm-hmm. meeting one day and someone asked, "What are your superpowers?" Like two. Mm-hmm. Oh my anyway, god! Go, yeah, but, uh, that's uh, a popular uh, thing to do nowadays in certain groups. But go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to get back to that. That's a great point. It's a, it's a point I want to make later. Um, her response, the, the director. I call it a spidey sense. The interviewer, do you really? And Cassie Lemons in response, oh yeah. She said when trouble's coming, I feel a flutter in my chest. So sometimes she called it a flutter, she being Harriet Tubman, but she had pronounced visions, you know? And then um, she goes, I'll tell you an interesting story. Harriet Tubman was good friends with John Brown, and this is after our story takes place, but they were close for a period of time. He tried to go get her to Harper's Ferry where the abolitionists organized a failed slave revolt. It was very important to him that she be there, but she had a vision just before she was supposed to leave that he would be cut down. So she never showed up at Harper's Ferry. So basically she tells a story, which could have been just coincidence, to, first of all, she confirms that she calls herself a spidey sense, and that's what she was going for. Mm-hmm. Then she gives an anecdote to confirm it's a spidey sense, when instead she could have used that opportunity to say, you know, I play a little fast and loose with it in the movie, but it's important for you to know that was a horrendous brain injury, and she was disabled as a... <laughs> act of white terrorism and it's important you know but that'll make white people uncomfortable yeah you know so even this interview i'm just going to keep it as a spidey sense and the quick point that i want to bring up in relation to what you just said about the parents meeting right i've been rereading this guy called uh baudrillard he's this french uh, philosopher and baudrillard has this concept called hyper reality and hyper reality is this idea that some spaces some things what he called hyper real they're like concentrated reality. They're more real than reality. The reality itself, yeah. The reality yeah. itself. And what he means by that, it's a kind of tough thing. I had to struggle with this for a while. But the examples, some examples are like Disneyland, Vegas, and prison, right? For example, before, like, there's a lot of atrocity and crazy stuff going on in the world that was a very violent, short, brutish existence. But you create something called a prison. Prison is this concentrated version of all like the violence and fucked upness and whatever in the world. You put it together, concentrate it in one place. And now people can say, oh, prison is this place. Prison is this whatever. But really the whole planet is a prison. But by creating this hyper real thing, which is like reality cubed, you kind of don't you can kind of lie to yourself and say, oh, the rest of the world is not a prison. The rest of the world mm-hmm. is not hyper-violence. The rest of the world is not... But basically, if you look at a, at, a, at a ghetto or a hood, it's basically the police have it on lockdown. They patrol it. They act like they're wardens in, uh, in people's neighborhoods. But, you know, people are able to psychologically displace the reality to this hyper-real place. Or Disneyland, right? Mm-hmm. Disneyland is something that people can tell themselves, okay, this is a theme park. And it's there to distract you from the fact that all of LA has kind of become a theme park. Mm-hmm. It's it's all a theme park. But what hyper-real places do is they allow us to convince ourselves, this is the place that's fake. You know, when really... Yeah. When yeah. really what the hyper real place is, it's actually extra real. And it's a reflection of what's outside there. And Vegas is the same way. You go to Vegas and then you tell yourself, oh, this place, Vegas, that's where everyone is just consumerist and crazy and debauched and cares about strippers. But really, that's the whole world. But by hyper concentrating it in Vegas and making Vegas this reality squared, you get to lie to yourself about what the outside is. I feel like superhero movies are like that. Like the superficiality and childishness of superhero movies and comic books 
has just become a reality now. And now we just kind of tell ourselves it's just Marvel movies. But Marvel movies are actually just our reality now, just like squared. And it's so much our reality that now even our biopics have to be superhero movies yeah. and comic movies. Your parent meeting has to be a superhero movie or whatever. Like, like this childishness is everywhere. everywhere. And we've and we've yeah. hyper-localized it and convinced ourselves it's only in these Marvel movies that come out once every three months. And really, it's infected fucking everything. Oh, no, it's Escape the Confines. There's actually a, oh another, yeah. another, there's another writer. His name is Umberto Eco. And he wrote a book called uh, Travels in Hyper-Reality. And I think it describes exactly what you're getting at here. Yeah, yeah. Umberto Eco's book, book what's, what's the name uh, of the Travels book? in Hyper-Reality, it's based on Baudrillard's concept. Yeah, he wrote, yeah. he wrote he, a second book to kind of elaborate on the book that I'm talking about. Really right. right. And, and what he did was, um, this is actually like a, a, a brilliant uh, analogy here. So he talks about the Palace of Living Arts, which is this, uh, this wax museum um, in Los Angeles. And in the museum, like you'll see not um, like a wax uh, figurine of uh, Leonardo da Vinci. It's a wax figurine of Leonardo da Vinci as he's painting the Mona Lisa. Or like here's Aristotle, um, you know, looking at the bust of Homer. Uh, here is uh, the Cardinal Richelieu. Um, you know, it's like it's people like captured sort of in media res, like uh, vaunted historical figures. So it's like you never really ever have to have to read about the people that you're seeing because you're seeing them as they're doing that is that amazing thing that you know them for and what he says is the palace's philosophy is not we're giving you the reproduction so that you're going to want the original i.e when people say okay well if people watch this film then they're going to want to study more about harriet tubman and it's like no that's not the the purpose of the palace the purpose of the palace is we're giving you the reproduction so that you will no longer feel any need for the original all right so that was a preview if you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and a hundred more episodes then by all means go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks take care y'all